a beautiful thing, this song that we, all the songs that we've been singing, but this song that he shall reign forever and ever. And every time I sing that song, I can't help but just imagine all of eternity within my limited capacity, but imagine eternity of sitting before the Lord in his presence, in his physical presence, singing face to face, you reign. How amazing, how beautiful. And if that doesn't excite you, if that doesn't bring you joy, then I don't know what does. But this morning we are continuing in our message series, Where Are We Going?, Um, Now, if you were here last week, Ruben will have explained how this message series came about. Um, The title came about thanks to Joe Day's incessant singing of Dora the Explorer uh, theme song. If you know Dora the Explorer, you will be very familiar. Every Every time an episode begins, she goes, where are we going? And her little, like, cartoon friends. I'm a terrible mom. I don't know. Ruben knows everything by heart. I don't know. They're just friends <laughs> to me. And they always go, we're going to grandma's house or we're going to the forest or whatever. So this title came inspired by Dora the Explorer. Um, <laughs> but the message series itself, it was, it was a moment where we were celebrating and we have been celebrating the past five years of Riverside International Church and the Lisbon Project as well here in Lisbon and thinking, well, where is God taking us? Thinking about our future, thinking of the next five years and all that God is going to do. And, and we started with my dad, Pastor Eddie. He came from Kashkaj about three weeks ago and he started the series with this idea of gratitude. We read in 1 Thessalonians that, that Paul writes, and be grateful for this is the will of God. And so my dad spoke about this attitude of gratitude and, and how it would change our lives, how it would change the church, how it would change our, our, our circumstances if we came before the Lord with this gratitude and how that would deepen our encounters of worship with God. And then Reuben last week, he picked up on this theme and this idea of unity that in the next five years of this church, God is calling us to unity, that, that as the church grows, challenges grow, especially in a non-denominational, multicultural, international church, challenges will, will appear, but that the antidote to any kind of dissension or conflict is unity. And the word says in John 13, it says that, that by the way that we love one another, that people will know that we are his disciples. And so we're called to unity. And, and as we look to the next five years, I, I, I really don't like the where do you see yourself in five years question, especially when it comes to church. Where I see myself in five years, I see us on fire for God. I see us being a city on a hill. I see us being the salt in the earth of the earth, the salt and the light of the earth. I see us bringing transformation to people's lives whether it's in a big building or this building, bigger building or this building, or whether it's all the seats filled up or not, I'll leave that up to God. But I want to see us just on fire for God. And so this morning, we're going to continue from gratitude to unity. We're going to talk about the power of God. How would our church change? How would our lives change if we understood the power 
of God. If we got to know the God who has called us, he's not just a nice teacher. He wasn't just a nice historical figure that lived 2,000 years ago, but he is God himself. What if we understood the power of God and how that can radically transform our lives, that can radically transform situations, that can radically transform not only this church, but the city, this country, the nations. And so we're going to talk about this today. And my prayer this morning is that you will leave here changed, that you will leave here relieved this morning, that if you came with burdens, that if you came tired and weary, that you would leave here feeling refreshed by the power of God. And that you will leave here feeling excited and motivated and filled with purpose as you go about your life this week and forever. But I've been reading um, the, the New Testament and I'm doing one of those plans again of like read the New Testament in one year. And so I started out in the Gospels and, um, and something that stood out to me as I read through, especially Matthew, is this word authority. It kept coming up over and over again. And actually, I looked it up, and it's, it, the word authority depends on the different translations that you use. But it's used 107 times just in the New Testament. Now, authority is a word that um, is a recurring theme in our household, or the challenge of authority, I'd rather say, <laughs> with a daughter who's about to turn three in a couple of weeks. And so this idea of, I have authority to choose your clothes <laughs> and to, to decide when you go to bed and when you don't go to bed and when you have a shower and all kinds of decisions that have to be made throughout the day. And so we exercise authority in our home with our daughters and in our family. But also Ruben and I are leaders of the church and we're leaders of the organization throughout the week. Um, the Lisbon Project, and so, and we're in a position of authority. And so every day, we have to make decisions. Decisions on budgets, and decisions on human resources, and decisions of what we're going to do and what we're not going to do. And people come to us, often looking for solutions. And, and, and when we have to sign documents, oftentimes, it's my signature that goes at the bottom of a document that's going to implement a decision that was made. And so this idea of authority is something that that at least is, is, is recurring in my life. And if you're in a position of leadership, whether it's at work or whether just even in, in your relationships, in your home, you will understand this idea of authority. And there's a man in Matthew chapter 8, and he, he goes to Jesus, and now he's in a position of authority. He's in a position, he's a team leader. And so he was a centurion. A centurion was part of the Roman army, and he would have been responsible for about 100 soldiers. And he comes to Jesus with a request. He comes to Jesus, and he says in verse 5, a centurion comes to, him, to Jesus, and he asks him for help. And he says, Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. And, and I just want to take a moment here just to recognize how this man exercised his leadership. How beautiful it is that he comes to Jesus on behalf of someone in his team, on behalf of someone that is serving with him. When was the last time we came to Jesus on behalf of the people that work with us, on behalf of the people that serve with us? When was the last time that you and I went to Jesus and said, just, just help this person just bring healing into their home. Bring salvation into their home. Bring comfort into their home. God, just help the people that I work with. Help the people that serve with me. This man understood 
real, true leadership. And so he comes to Jesus on behalf of his servant, and he says, Jesus, just help him. He's suffering terribly. And Jesus kind of, he prompts his response. And he says, yeah, I'm willing. Shall I, shall I come with you? Shall I go with you to your home so I can meet him and, and I can bring healing? And this man replies in an incredible way. He says, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word. Can everybody say, say the word? Just say the word and my servant will be healed. He says, for I myself am a man under authority, and, and I also have people under my authority. And I know that if I just say to that one, go, he goes. And if I say to that one, come, he comes. And if I say to that one, do this, he does that. And so Jesus, just say the word. Because you have the authority to bring healing. You don't need to be in the same physical space as him. You don't need to do some kind of ritual. You have the power and the authority Just say the word and he will be healed. And Jesus was amazed by his faith. What if we understood that Jesus has the authority, that Jesus has the power, that wherever we go, whatever situation we encounter, no matter how impossible, no matter how difficult, no matter how painful, we can say, hey, I serve a God. He just needs to say the word. What if we came to Jesus with this kind of faith? God. These people are hurting. God, I am hurting. But just say the word and you can bring a new day. You can bring healing. You can bring transformation. You see in Colossians chapter 1 verse 16, it says, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. It is all about Jesus. He holds the whole world in his hands. He can do anything, anyhow, wherever, whenever he wants. He holds all authority actually in the in the scriptures it says that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and that just with saying let there be light there was light he created something from nothing he can do all things can we take a moment to just internalize that this morning that the God you are singing to that the God whose presence is here with us now he can do all things He has authority. In fact, Jesus in Matthew 28, before he ascends back to heaven, he tells his disciples, he reminds them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so people were amazed. Wherever Jesus went, if you read the Gospels, people were amazed at the authority he spoke with. And and the authority he exercised when he brought healing. And when he told the wind and the waves to calm and they calmed and they were still, they were amazed by his authority. What is it about this man? There is something to him. There is a power about him. And the Bible says that these four men, that, that they recognized there was something about Jesus. And so in Mark chapter 2, these four men, they bring their friend who is paralyzed. And maybe you know the story. And their friend is paralyzed and he can't move and he's suffering terribly. And so they find a way. They make quite the effort. They find a way to bring this man to Jesus. And it's a crowded room. 
And everyone is expecting to Jesus, for Jesus to, to, to exercise his power and his authority and to tell him to get up and walk. But Jesus turns to him and he does something nobody expects. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. What? Everyone is amazed and shocked and surprised. The religious leaders are thinking, who does this man think he is to forgive sins? And, and Jesus reads their thoughts and he says, but I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus doesn't just have authority to change your situations. He doesn't just have authority to transform the, the circumstances around you. But he has authority to change you from the inside out. He has authority to bring you a new identity. He has authority to turn the page in your life and bring you back to the son and the daughter that you are meant to be in him. He has authority over sin. And the best way, the most simple way that I can describe this is when Jade was a baby, and I know I bring always the mother illustrations, but if you're a parent, you'll know, you'll understand, and if you're not, you'll bear with me. Be patient. <laughs> but Jade was a newborn baby, and we brought her home from the hospital, and uh, this was our, our oldest, who is almost three now, and, um, and it was time to cut her nails. Now, cutting her nails, if you know me, I'm not one for little tasks. I'm not one for, for being patient with little detailed things. And so this was a very little detailed task where I had to carefully cut her nails of a newborn who doesn't stop moving. And by accident, I cut the skin under her nails and she starts bleeding and crying. And I'm feeling like the worst person in the world. I'm feeling just this deep sense of regret and just ugh, remorse. Even just talking about it with Ruben this week, we just felt awful remembering it. This innocent child is crying because of the pain that I have brought on her. And then Reuben turns to me and he goes, you don't know. I, I know you're impatient with these. Let me just do this. And so he picks up the clippers, probably the wrong clippers we were using at the time. He picks up the clippers and next thing he goes very carefully and he cuts her. And now she's bleeding from two fingers. She has two ouchies. We're the most, just the worst parents, just feeling awful. We want to cry just because she's crying. And that's what sin does in a very simple way. We hurt the heart of God and we hurt others and we bring pain upon others and, and, and things come out of our mouths that it's, we wish we could retract them. We wish we could bring them back. We wish we could rewind and back in time, but we do things and we say things that bring terrible hurt, that ruin marriages, that ruin families that distance people from one another. There's people in this room that there's people you don't even talk to because the situation is such a mess and sin has created such a mess that you can't even go back there. And another time, and I just really want to bring my point in this morning, but those of you who know me and who've been around um, at Riverside long enough, my phobia has been exposed before, so I'm just going to further expose myself. I'm very, very, very afraid of snakes. And so even just the thought of it, the, the talking about it is, is, makes my hands sweat. But my sister one day, she thought it would be funny, as most people think. Pedro the other day did something similar. People find it funny to, to just poke at my fear. <laughs> and so I was on the trampoline with my then four-year-old nephew. And my sister thought it would be a fun idea to tell him to kind of make this movement and, and go behind my neck and, and make like this hissing snake sound. 
And so I'm on the trampoline when next thing I just see a hand and, a, and the sound, and I react in self-defense of this, this uh, boa, poisonous snake that is here behind me, and I just make this movement with my knee. And I knee my nephew in the chin, nearly broke his teeth. Like, this was a, we're on the trampoline. It was a strong movement. And he bursts out crying. I mean, obviously. He's in pain. I'm thinking if I broke his teeth, is it, it's an awful situation. I'm feeling like horrible because of what I've done to him. He's feeling horrible because of what I did to him. And now I'm not just sad. Now I'm not just regretting what happened. But now I'm angry at my sister. I, I'm super livid of why would she do this? She knows I'm afraid. She knows this would be the outcome of this situation. And so now I'm placing the blame. I'm bitter. I'm resentful. She's bitter at me because I've just need her son in the face. He's angry at me. And it's just a mess of the situation. And this is what sin does. All of a sudden, you're blaming other people because of what they've caused you to do. They were upsetting. They were terrible. They fell short, which caused you to react, which caused you to say some things that you're not proud of. But really, it's not your fault. It's their fault because they provoked you, and they should know better. And all of a sudden, it's just a a mess of blame and of hurt and of disappointment and of jealousy and of anger and all kinds of horrible things. The Bible says that the devil comes to kill, rob, and destroy. And he does this mess. And the good news this morning is that Jesus has authority to clean up messes. Jesus has authority to come in and clean it up and bring reconciliation and bring forgiveness. You see this hurt, this regret that some people feel of things that they have done because of our sinful nature, it can often turn into shame. And it can turn and grow into guilt. Into a guilt that is so big that people switch off from the world. That people switch off from the purpose that God had for them. It is such a shame that some people get to the tragic point of saying, you know what, people are just better off without me. And these suicidal thoughts start coming into their hearts and their minds and their soul is so distressed by the effects of sin that they say, you know, it would be even better if people just didn't have to deal with me. And Jesus says, I have authority to forgive you of your sins. That shame that you feel, that guilt that you feel, I can take it away. No one is too far gone. No situation is too messy. It doesn't matter. We sang that. It doesn't matter what you've done. The Father's heart is passionate about you. And he can make a new thing in your life. He has authority over sin. In fact, Jesus, in Luke chapter 4, he walks into the temple and he he states his mission statement of why he's come to earth. He, He opens the scroll of Isaiah. It's a prophecy about him hundreds of years before. And Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I'm here to bring freedom to you. I'm here to lift your burdens. I'm here to take away the sin. I'm here to give you a new identity. This is what Jesus is about To bring change, not only to your situations and circumstances, but to your heart. To do something new in you. And so Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus is telling his disciples, 
I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. He says, therefore, go. I am all powerful to do anything, anywhere, however, whenever, therefore, go. In my authority, in my power, therefore, go. But it's interesting that Jesus doesn't say, now, therefore, go and do all kinds of crazy miracles and draw a lot of attention to yourself. And therefore, go and get that job that you really wanted because you have my power, so really you can do anything. Or therefore, go and, and because you have my power, just accumulate a ton of wealth for yourself. This nonsense prosperity gospel that people preach all the time of like, believe him, his power, and you'll get rich. This couldn't be further from the truth. Jesus says, therefore, go and make disciples. In my power, Therefore, go and draw people to me. Therefore, go and do what I have come to do to bring sight to the blind, to bring freedom to the prisoners, to bring comfort to people who are mourning, to bring healing to the sick. Therefore, go, but bring people to me. I have been given all authority so that you can go and make disciples. You see, so often we manipulate the power of God to be self-serving to be all about us, to be about the things that we want and the dreams we want to chase after and the plans that we have for our lives when Jesus isn't about you. Jesus is all about himself and his glory and bringing people to the revelation of who he truly is. See, this other time in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus is walking into the city and it says that these two men, they approach Jesus and they're demon-possessed. They are completely filled with evil spirits. Now, these men would have been somebody's son, somebody's brother, somebody's neighbor. They would have been known in the city, and they are, their lives have been completely chained up. And they are no longer who they used to be. They're far from who they're meant to be. And they're, de- they're completely possessed by evil spirits. And the Bible says that as Jesus approaches, the evil spirits in them say, Cast us away. Are you, are you here? Are you here to cast us? And then they say, it's a big story. I'm not going to go into it, but there's theology all in and through this (laughs) that I don't have time to explain. But they say, if you're here to cast us out, then cast us out to those pigs over there. And so Jesus does it because he loves those two men. And because he's here on a mission to set the captives free. And so he frees them of the, the, the evil spirits and he sends them into the herd of pigs. And those pigs, they run off the cliff and they die. And this is the reaction of the people that were there that witnessed this. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Instead of rejoicing about the freedom of these two men, these people asked Jesus to leave because, hey, if you're not here to help me care for my possessions and to help me accumulate the things that I wanted. If you're not here to serve me and my plans, then just leave. When Jesus says, listen, I'm not here about you making, to make your life comfortable. I'm not here to, to help you get all the possessions that you wanted, but I'm here to set people free. And Jesus focuses on these two men and bringing them back the freedom that they can have in the spirit of the Lord. But we make God's power about us. And men and women all over the world make God's power about themselves 
We tend to think of God's power in terms of physical strength, omniscient knowledge, or a wealth of resources at his disposal. And all these things are true. But the power of God is demonstrated by his ability to accomplish his will in every situation, both real and potential, through any means he chooses in order to glorify himself. And what is his will? That none should perish. To seek the power of God is to seek the will of God. If you want God's power to be used and revealed in and through you, then you are to seek the will of God. What is his will? That none should perish. We read in 2 Peter, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is all about the people that make up your companies the people in your university, the people in your neighborhood, the people that live in your apartment building, God's heart is passionate about them. And he cares about their freedom and their heart and their soul. But so often with Christianity and as churchgoers, we make our relationship and our faith about us. And I'm going to ask Jode, will you hold this here, please? Being in the front row, this is what happens. That's why none of you come. <laughs> but we make, if you just hold a glass there, we make Christianity about us. So we come to God and we, we ask him for his power because we need his power in our lives. And God, I need your comfort. God, I need your healing. God, I really need that job. Will you fill me? Until we are satisfied. And then we stop. We're, we're just about full We've worshiped, we've prayed, we do our devotionals, and every day we come to the Lord so that he may satisfy us, so that he may fill us. But this is not what God has called us to. This is not what the power of God is for just to fill you and just to satisfy you. The power of God is that you, that you may overflow into others. And I say this all the time, but today I need to make this a visual so that it may be solidified in your heart. The power of God is so that you may overflow into the lives of others, that you may bring comfort to the lives of others, that you would be so filled that when you go into places and into companies and into universities and into neighborhoods, that people know something happened here. People walk in where you've just left and they say something happened here. It wasn't just Joe Day that was here, but she brought transformation to this place. What is it about her? The Bible says that wherever Peter went, even his shadow healed people. There was this power of the Holy Spirit to bring change into other people, to set the captives free that wherever you go, you are being used by God. But are we seeking? Thank you, Joe Day. <laughs> You can take it and drink it. <laughs> but are we seeking to be overflowing? Or are we just living our life with God? Just help me, meet me, encounter me, satisfy me, fulfill me. Or are we seeking daily, Jesus, use me. Use me till I'm overflowing. Who do you want me to speak to today? How do you want me to pray for someone today? Holy Spirit, give me the gifts that are available that I may bring transformation to people. And we're going to talk about this in the next message series. What are the gifts of the Holy Spirit? What is this power that we're talking about? But how can God give you and empower you 
with his spirit today so that you don't just come to church to receive, but you come to church to bring comfort to someone who is dying inside. So that when you go to the grocery store, you're not just on a mission to get your groceries, but you're, you're aware, your heart is open. This cashier is thinking about suicide today. I'm going to come and I'm going to speak straight to her. Jesus, use me to bring freedom to the captives, to bring sight to the blind. That is what the power of God is about. But for that, we need to have compassion. For that desire to be inside of us, to overflow, our hearts need to break for the things that break God's heart. And this is something I came to realize this week about me is that I am more easily irritated by sin. I am more easily annoyed by people's sin. But rarely, at least recently, have I been saddened by people's sin. People's shortcomings and people's faults and and people being stubborn and proud and, and rebellious against God, that more easily annoys me than it does break my heart. And this morning, I feel that we need to make this prayer, God, break my heart for people. If we could understand how tragic it is that people do not know God, then maybe our hearts would cry in the way that Paul's heart cries. He says in Romans 9, with Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. He's basically saying, look, I'm not making this up. This is, this is the reality. This is what I truly feel. You have to believe me. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. He says, I would be willing to be cut off from Christ if that meant these people that I love knowing Christ. Is this the way that we live as Christians? Is this the way we're going about our daily lives? That we are so passionate about people knowing Jesus. Not just seeking God's power for ourselves and what I can get. But God, use me through the power of your spirit that I may bring freedom to people. Use me to say the right words. Use me to prophesy over people. Use me to pray healing over people. Not just to change their physical circumstances, but that it may draw them closer to you. That they may become your disciples. Jesus, break my heart for what breaks yours. Philippians 2, it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. How are we living our lives this way? And the beautiful thing is that when God pours out his power, it fills you too. It fills you too. You can only overflow if you are filled The Lord will fill you. He will meet your needs. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and everything will be added unto you. He will fulfill you. But our hearts need to break for others. Jesus wept over sin. It says in Luke, but as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. Jeremiah, he's called the weeping prophet. How many of you have heard that before? He's called the weeping prophet because he was always crying. He was always crying because he was called to deliver a hard message. He was called to deliver a message that all of us actually are called to deliver. To ask people to repent. 
to ask people to understand, understand the sin of their pride and to change their ways. Behavioral change, something nobody ever wants to hear about too. And we're called to, to preach the same message, but he knew that nobody was listening. And it hurt his heart. Not because of himself, because he cared about himself, but because he knew the consequences of not listening to the message. He says, but if you will not listen, my soul will weep in secret for your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly and run down with tears because the Lord's flock has been taken captive. He was always crying. How much do we cry over other people in our lives? How many tears have you shed over family members that just don't know Jesus? How many tears are we shedding? How are we coming before God desperate? God, you need to reveal yourself. God, you need to use me. You have to use me to reveal yourself to people in my life. You see, this man, his name is Vance Havner. He says, the tragedy of our time is that the situation is desperate, but the saints are not. We live in a time where people are more and more increasingly going in the opposite direction of their maker. The one who knows them best and because of it, he loves them most. But they're walking away and the situation is desperate. But we're coming to church on Sunday and we're going to our Bible study and we're being filled and we're living a good Christian life when actually the word says it's desperate. God needs you to come before him with a broken heart saying, God, use me. Holy Spirit, use me, equip me, empower me in supernatural ways beyond my capacity, beyond my limitations. God, give me words to prophesy. God, give me your power that I may reveal you to people so that they may know that they are so loved. Jesus promises in Acts chapter 1, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And here he's confirming a promise that we had read back in Joel chapter 2. And afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. That's you. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. He says and you will receive power. Now not just to some. Jesus isn't just talking to his disciples here, saying you will receive, he's saying to the church, you will receive power. But so often we idolize pastors and leaders like, yes, they can be used. I mean, they have a title and they have 20 million followers on Instagram and social media. Yes, God uses them because they're sitting on the stage or, and, and they have a microphone. And no, God uses Francis Chan. God uses Christine Kane. God uses the elevation guy and the Bethel guy. and No, God uses them when God says, no, I will pour out my spirit on all of you. That you will be my witnesses wherever you go. Peter, he says in 2 Peter, to, to, in one of his letters in verse 1, he introduces himself and he says, Simon Peter, I'm a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. And he's writing to this church, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God. A faith of equal standing. Like you have been given a faith of equal standing with Peter. 
with Peter. Like, this guy walked on water. This guy, it, it, he, he did amazing, beautiful things. Even a shadow healed people. And we joke about it all the time when my girls were just crawling. And Don would say, silver or gold I do not have, but get up and walk. <laughs> but we have a faith of equal standing with him. That means that if you have faith, that means that if you come before God saying, use me, God can use you over and above how he used Peter. For what? For the purpose that none should perish and that his name would be glorified. How are you coming before the Lord? The Holy Spirit gives us authority. But I think as a church, and I'm going to call the worship team up. As a church, oftentimes we're longing for the past. We read the Old Testament and we see all kinds of crazy miracles of the Lord parting the Red Seas and, and Daniel in the lion's den and, and, and Elijah praying for fire to come down and all kinds of miracles. And we're longing, oh, I wish I lived in that time. But if that's the case, then maybe we haven't understood the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, those people... They longed for the time we're living in. In that time in the Old Testament, the Holy of Holies was confined to a room, was confined to to four walls where only the high priest could go once a year. And they were longing for a time where the power of God would be poured out on all people. And now you and I, we're not confined to four walls of meeting the Lord and and, and having somebody to go on our behalf. Because of Jesus being our high priest, we can walk straight into the presence of God. And not only just walk into his presence, but his Holy Spirit lives within us. Ezekiel, he prophesied in chapter 36. He says, and I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. The Holy Spirit lives in you. If if that doesn't bring change to your life. I mean, I want to walk out of here and I want to be so on fire. I want to be so aware of the Holy Spirit. That's my prayer, is that God will bring you awareness. That His Spirit lives within you. And the prophet, he goes on and he, he, in chapter 37, he, he has one of the most beautiful and vivid visions that we read in the Bible. It is one of the most beautiful illustrations of what the Spirit of God does. In chapter 37, verse 1, we read, And the hand of the Lord was upon me and brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. And it was full of bones, like dried up bones, skeletons. I've only seen a skeleton once in my life, and I wish I hadn't, but there's nothing to it. There's no life. It's dead. It's hopeless. And he says, the Spirit of the Lord brought him to a valley filled with dry bones. And he led me among them, and behold, there were many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And he answered, O Lord God, you know. 
And then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am Lord. This is a prophecy of the people that surround you, people who are far from God, people who are dead in their sins, people who they think their situation is too far, people who think that, that, that they're unworthy of God, people who think there's no way back, things that are just going down a dead end. And the Lord prophesies. He says, I will cause my breath to bring life into these people. Verse 7, he says, So I spoke this message just as he told me. Can you repeat that? Just as he told me. Just as he told me. Suddenly I spoke and there was a rattling noise all across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. Then as I watched, the muscles and flesh formed over the bones. The skin formed to cover their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to the wind, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath, from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies so they may live again. So I spoke the message as he had commanded me, just as he told me. And breath came into their bodies. They all came to life and stood up on their feet, a great army. I believe there is a great army in your life. In your context with the relationships that you are forming, there is a great army that the Lord is just waiting for you to prophesy breath into them. The Lord is just waiting to use you that you may be a blessing and make disciples so that a great army will know that they have been called. Will you do just as he told you? Will you seek his will? Will you come to church, not just, God, how can you fill me? Will you open your pure Bible saying, not just, God, how you, can you comfort me? But God, give me something that I may give to someone else. God, bless me in a way that I may be a blessing to someone else. Use me, Lord. We should be desperate for God to use us. And I have to admit, I'm the first one to admit. I have been living recently, and this was a wake-up call for me, this message. I've been thinking about the big picture. Yeah, God, use my life. And hiding behind this big picture. God, use my life. Use my life as we lead church and use my life as we, as we lead the Lisbon Project and use my life to go in the direction that you want. But I haven't been aware of the Holy Spirit living in me in the day-to-day encounters. In the people that, that are part of my meetings. And the people that that just say hello or good morning, I haven't been aware that God can use me in those moments. Not just in the big picture of my life, but God wants to use me on a Tuesday at 3 p.m. with somebody that walked in and they just need to hear a word that God wants to speak through me. Are you aware? Well, we have this prayer. I want you to, would you get up to your feet this morning? Well, we pray to the Lord. Make me aware of the power of your spirit and break my heart for what breaks yours. 
Open my eyes to see not just the smile that people put on their faces, but open my eyes to see the sorrow that's in their heart. Open my eyes to see the questions that are in their heart that maybe, God, you want to answer through me. Open my eyes and give me faith and give me boldness that I may step into the situation saying, hey, I know the Lord of Lords and he just needs to say the word. And your bones will come to life. And your life will be radically transformed. And you will never be the same again. Not only will he give you joy instead of your sorrow, not only will he bring peace into your situation, but he will make you a new creation. What would the next five years of this church be if we understood the power of our God? And if we were desperate for God to use us in desperate times? Let's worship God this morning. And let's make this prayer. God, use me. Use me not only in the big picture of my life, but use me as I walk out these doors. Use me in this service. Show me the people I need to talk to. Show me the people I need to pray for. Use me upstairs at breakfast. Use me as I go about to the beach later on. Use me at work tomorrow. Use me at the grocery store. Use me in my apartment building and give me boldness. But it's not just boldness to preach. It comes out of a deep compassion and a broken heart that if those people only knew the God who loves them, let's pray and let's worship God.